I now can't have conversations about race in America without inserting my little sister into the conversation. Lucy just ground so much of that for me. I had spent uh, the last three years uh, being involved with the Black student government on campus and learning about Black culture in America and Black struggles in America and Black history in America. Um, and obviously through just such a grounded connection to my little sister um, and to the community on campus. How did the connection of a brown little sister to a white brother lead to advocacy for people of color on his college campus and beyond? How do we ground conversations in humanity and connection? And how did college professors use poetry and storytelling to engage students and help them grow in empathy for multiple people groups? These questions and more we'll explore while getting real, immersed in truth. the grit podcast getting real immersed in truth intersecting hard conversations with the gospel we seek and speak the truth about what's going on around us i'm your host robrina rettle this is episode two of our series conversations in black and white today i'm speaking to a white ally advocate and activist tate kohler he is a recent graduate from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, where he earned a double major in philosophy and communication studies and double minored in English and ethnic studies. While at the University of Nebraska, Tate was an active member of the African People's Union. As an advocate for people of color, he uses his voice and privilege to speak up about racism and racial injustice. Tate will be using his gifts and abilities to shape the future of the next generation as a teacher for Teach for America. All right, welcome, Tate. Hey, Ms. Sabrina, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, <laughs> what we have in common, uh, I have known you for a long time. Um, and you know that you are a member of the family and you're like my second son. I have one son. <laughs> you're like my second son. Uh, when you came back to Lincoln to attend the university uh, from Florida, so you moved to Florida and you came back to Lincoln, we were able to get to know you as a young man. And it has been a joy to see you grow into an empathetic, kind, servant leader who believes in equality and justice for all. Why did you decide to teach for Teach for America? That is a great question. Um, so I... I'd wanted to be a teacher for a while, right? Majored in communication studies and just loved public speaking uh, and loved like relationship building. So that was kind of like always on the table. And I think, um, you know, kind of by chance bumping into Teach for America uh, and learning about their heart for diversity and like having that at like the core of what they do, um, you know, and really wanting to serve under-resourced and underserved communities. Uh, just hit a heartstring for me, you know, and it was just like this perfect melding 
of, of you know two things that I really care about. So awesome. that was that was the main thing that that pushed me towards Teach for America. Awesome. Let's talk about your baby's sister. So I yeah. I interviewed your mom, Missy, and uh, we talked about when she adopted Lucy and just a lot of um, shifts that you all had to make as a family and then also how it shaped her thinking on race in America. Uh, so I just wanted to ask you, uh, Lucy's from Ethiopia and I know that you accompanied your parents on the trip to Africa to bring her home. Uh, why don't you tell us about your experience starting with how old you were when you went? Yeah, so I was in sixth grade, so I would have been like 11 or 12, something like that. Um, so pretty young, uh, and I remember it pretty clearly, like as an experience, which like I don't remember a lot of things from my childhood very clearly. So um, the things that stand out are like uh, the physical layout of the place that we were in, like the buildings. Um, I remember the food pretty well. Uh, it was really good food. Uh, and then obviously like the, you know, the moment, right? Like seeing Lucy for the first time uh, was such a big deal, you know? Um, so that was definitely, a, definitely a top 10 moment for me, right? Uh, uh, but yeah, a really great time. And I also think like just such a great bonding experience with my parents um, mm -hmm. to have been able to go with them, you know, uh, mm -hmm. and to experience that. Yeah, I remember thinking it was pretty awesome when Missy said she was going to take you uh, with them, with them when they went to go get her. Because I thought, to me, I thought that would, was going to be a defining moment for you as far as shaping you as a person. Uh, the fact that you were going to that country and you would see things that you probably would not see in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And just how that would affect your... Uh, point of view or your worldview. Yeah. So how did that affect your view of the world when you returned to the States? That's a really good question. Um, you know, I think that it definitely laid like a foundation for point of view change. And I think obviously like being in sixth grade, even through like middle and high school, you know, I don't know if I would have like been able to identify specifically like things that change, you know, changed in me or like perspectives that change or points of view that change. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think that it opened a lot of doors for me to be able to like start having conversations, if that makes mm -hmm. sense, um, yeah. that were different. Uh, and even just to have, you know, just in the back of my mind, this knowledge of, you know, like the world's bigger than the United States, the mm -hmm. world is bigger than my family, the world is bigger than white people, the world is bigger than, uh, you know, the school that I go to, um, and just, I don't know, yeah, just having that as a foundation, I guess, um, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I, I wasn't, you know, super metacognitive of, of the different things going on, you know, mm -hmm. at the time, but I think I can, I can look back and appreciate how that definitely, you know, like, made a difference down the road. Right. When you moved to, you moved from Lincoln, Nebraska to Orlando, Florida, what were the primary differences you noticed as far as demographics, you know, going to school there as compared to here? Yeah, so I get to talk about this a lot, right? Because being, when we moved to Florida, I was 
kid from Nebraska, right? So that's always just the first thing, like, where is Nebraska? Is it cold there? Uh, and, you know, just like talking about that. And then coming back to college in Nebraska, you know, I was the kid from Florida and everyone's mm-hmm. like, why on earth did you choose to come back? Um, you yeah, know, we kind of thought that too, actually. <laughs> constantly, constantly answering those questions. Um, and the, you know, the main thing that I usually talk about uh, is the racial diversity that I experienced in Florida. Um, and the lack of racial diversity that I experienced in Nebraska, even being on a college campus, um, even being, you know, in one of the more diverse places in Nebraska, you know, just like you said, very homogenous. Um, and I think maybe similar to uh, the experience with Lucy, being in Florida at the time when I was in high school, right, like ninth through 12th grade, I don't think that I was like processing what it meant to have a class of diverse perspectives and people groups and ethnicities, um, what it meant to have a school of diverse people groups and backgrounds. Um, like I, again, like those weren't things on my radar, you know, those mm-hmm. were blind spots for me, not things that I was processing through. But when I moved back to Nebraska for college, I mean, it was painfully obvious. Mm. Uh, everyone that I see looks like me. Um, and I mean, the biggest change in that sense that I think I found was just like, if I want to be surrounded by a diverse point of view, if that's something I actually care about, right? Like if that's a priority for me, I'm mm-hmm. going to need to find it. I'm going to need to search it out. Um, in Florida, if I'm being randomly split up in my class into like a group project, like I will not be just amongst white people. Um, that was not the makeup, you know, of my class. Uh, and in Nebraska in college, you know, that's very much not the case. Uh, that's interesting that you said that because I feel the same way. I feel like you have to insert yourself into different people groups. I don't feel that it comes as organically or you have to seek out that friendship mm-hmm. in diversity if you want to um, have more, like you said, diverse perspectives people groups ethnicities you have to do it on purpose you know because you know i grew up in texas mostly and so you are accustomed to everywhere you go there are a variety of different ethnicities and more than likely when you go to the school board meeting you're not going to be the only black person at the school board meeting yeah happens to me uh, quite a bit when i go so yeah, I agree. You have to you have to seek it out, and uh, I don't think I don't. I think people don't really think about that. They don't think about seeking it out. They think about well, this is just who I'm hanging out with, and so I'm just going to hang out with them. And yeah. they're all white, so be it. You know, it's just not a, it's not not on the radar of most people if you are not of color, unless yeah. a person like you who values that, and so you put yourself in situations where you can experience it yeah yeah absolutely uh i also want to talk about how the places you've traveled to you traveled on missions trips and uh, where have those trips taken you and what what did that do for you again in terms of perspective and worldview yeah i so i went to ecuador three times uh, over spring break in high school i didn't know that um and 
it was awesome. Uh, absolutely loved it at the time. Um, became really close friends with the people that I went with um, and made some really close connections uh, with like some of the staff that were there, um, you know, with the mission trip I went on. And I think I could probably talk for a while, right, about like uh, the things that I appreciate. And I think in in a couple ways that it built maybe this tension for me mm. of a lot of what we did was in schools. And I think one of the first things was just realizing that like this is just a school, just like the one that I go to mm. in the United States of America, right? Mm -hmm. And like all of these things that weren't even things that I was like consciously thinking about. But for some reason, when we stepped into the school, I was just like, it's going to be different, right? Like, because this is a school in Ecuador, right? Like it's going to, I don't even know what I was expecting, but I was like, it's probably going to look different. Mm -hmm. And it, it, I mean, actually a lot of them were pretty cool. They had like soccer courts right in the middle of school. I was like, I would love that. Mm -hmm. um, and, but I mean, more importantly, it was just like, they had classrooms, right? And teachers and students who were learning the same things that I would have been learning at their age. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that definitely, again, was one of those things that was like foundation laying in terms of just being like, hey, outside of my world, things are also the world, you know, people are experiencing similar things. Mm -hmm. But um, I think also like, there was just so much of Ecuadorian culture that I got to experience that was really different. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that's where it built in, right? This tension of like learning to see more like the adults, like the staff we got to work with, mm -hmm. that their lives were so different from mine. Um, and in they would way? eat different foods uh, uh, and talk different languages. And uh, I mean, I guess they spoke Spanish, so just one different language. <laughs> um, uh, but I mean, the way that they were raised, right? The the connection that they had with their family and their city was different from mine. Mm. Um, you know, the way that they related to neighbors and just people that they would walk by was different mm. um, than like the normal customs that I had of like how I interacted with people in the United States. Mm -hmm. um, but I guess like for me, I really appreciated that. Um, and, you know, being able to experience that, you know, getting to see just differences and appreciate them and being like brought into that and like having them explained to me you know it was just so cool um so yeah I think it, those would be the two ways that I would like identify as how those kind of helped me see both similarities and differences yes I was just in, thinking that just different cultures right that's I was just thinking that because when I was talking to Missy and I told her you know we're all connected basically like everyone mm -hmm. is connected and I think that's a great example of there's people here who are have similarities and they're different and then there's mm -hmm. people there there are similarities and their differences and mm -hmm. just respecting the differences and not being so dependent on similarities i think helps people uh, grow and grow in relationships with other people and to be able to realize that we are pretty much the same you know people have hopes and dreams that they want to follow. Parents have hopes and dreams for their children. So, you know, it's pretty much the same, even though there are differences. Yeah. I think that people, I think if they thought about people that way or cultures that way, 
they wouldn't be as intimidated or afraid yeah or whatever it is that keeps people in a mindset of i most of it i think is fear you know yeah. not understanding yeah. so i'm afraid of you for sure for sure and i mean to be honest right like my first time ordering food in a restaurant where i was like i know that the waitress is only going to speak spanish i was afraid i was like what if i mean this is such a low stakes scenario to be afraid in right you know like i'm gonna get food and it's gonna be off the menu but i was like i i don't i'm not well equipped to communicate with this person right, right. i just have so much fear going into that um and you know being able to turn obviously played into my like increasing comfort with uh you know just interacting with people in ecuador but mm -hmm. um yeah that fear was just like so natural in you know especially on my first time there of mm -hmm. you know not knowing how to communicate well uh yeah so did you just point to something <laughs> i uh take this i had i had i had taken like one or two years of, of high school spanish and so i knew how to say like up oh, i don't want mayo or whatever it is and mm -hmm. like that was the most that i could do but but you have grown since then because i know that you are you said one of the things you were doing during the quarantine was teaching yourself spanish so i would say at least you you took on that fear and you were trying to improve yourself knowing okay this is a fear of mine and it is something that's important to me to engage and communicate and so I'm just going to take this on and educate myself. Yeah. That's what people need to do. <laughs> I'm really big about people educating themselves. Yeah, absolutely. I've been listening to a lot of Spanish music and that's helped me incredibly. Okay, let's see. How has the fact that your sister is African American, born in Africa, Ethiopia, uh, and uh, how has your sister and your travels shaped your view of race and privilege in America? You know, I think of all the things that it's done, it has really helped. I don't know if it's the right word, um, but it has just brought my heart into all of the discussions. Mm. Um, and I think so much for me, just as a person, happens on a conceptual level. And right, you already brought up philosophy major, right? Just like, usually that's where the gears are turning, is up here and in the, the words and the language and the, con the conceptual and, you know, the figurative and all of that. And I mean, she just grounds so much of the conversation mm. for me mm -hmm. in, in humanity um, mm -hmm. and in love and in connection. And I think, I mean, that has been invaluable for me in so many, so many discussions where if you are not having discussions about race, discussions about gender, discussions about politics, right? Anything in connection with people what are you talking about like mm. it has to be it has to be a connection with people um and that's i mean that's just been so important for me and mm. i think that's happened on a lot of levels um you know i think that's happened individually with her i think that's happened uh with just 
having friends, uh, friends of color, you know, like friends in the LGBTQ plus community. Um, like I now can't have conversations about race in America without inserting my little sister mm. like, into the conversation. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, I guess I am, you know, pretty frequently and in kind of a scary way reminded of how if like the potential I could have to in in lieu of that relationship mm -hmm. see things differently mm -hmm. um you know and hypothetically had I grown up in a world um where I hadn't had a brown little sister um where I hadn't had LGBTQ friends it it wouldn't affect me right like mm -hmm. none of the conversations around police brutality would give me a second thought. Mm. None of the conversations about gay rights would give me a second thought because I don't need to worry about it, right? Mm -hmm. Like my, I can, I can unfollow people on Facebook on my feed and move on. Like I don't need mm. to watch the nine-minute video of George Floyd being murdered mm. because it's upsetting to me and I don't want to finish it. You know, like I, I don't need to. I can just exit out and see none of it on my timeline um, if I want to. Right. But right, I mean. Lucy just ground so much of that for me um and you know connection and relationship grounds all those conversations in I think like a really healthy way for me um mm -hmm. so that I am not so frequently speaking from myself and from all the ways in which uh you know I have blind spots of privilege but can you know do a the, the best perspective taking I have available to me and you know, approach things from, from different lenses. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I appreciate you acknowledging that you don't have to deal with those things if you don't want to, if there is no connection for you. So there's an immediate connection for you because it's a family member, it's a mm -hmm. sister, you know, so there's an immediate connection, but there are some people like, there's some people who are, already done talking about it and i'm like okay yeah ju this just started the conversation just started so mm. we're not even close and it's a conversation that has been 400 years postponed oh my gosh thank more. you yes uh, and black people have been talking about this forever because it is part of our passing down you know you tell the stories okay so a, a biblical example of how Joshua had the stones and he said what they represented and that you were supposed to pass those stories down so your children will know what God has done. That is how it is in our community. You have stories that you pass down as lessons mostly in how to navigate and interact in this world where you may be seen as a threat to someone, as a person who steals in the store. So my mom is going to teach me how to hold this item so they don't think that you are stealing, you know, those types of conversations. So for us, this conversation has been going on and on. We just haven't been heard. And now that people have seen it, mm -hmm. some, are willing to enter into the conversation because they they just can't believe it 
And we're like, yeah, this is new. Like this has been here. But for them, it's like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe this is happening. I cannot believe this is the America that I live in. And as I like to present to people, there's two Americas. There might be even more than two Americas because we have so many different ethnicity groups in our country. Mm -hmm. And so there is the majority way and our way or another ethnic group's way of looking at who America is. And so I think it's... Uh, a good point to bring that up that yeah you don't necessarily have to you you have to like you said it has to be it has to come from your heart and you have to want to engage it you have to see the humanity in it to want to engage it now tell us about the experiences in college which you did mention some of those experiences but I'd like to hear about some of the courses that you chose to take that spoke to racial history and groups and why you chose those classes because it's I noticed you said you have a, a minor in ethnic studies yeah yeah um yeah I'm really excited to answer this question so I uh my senior year did my two minors in English and ethnic studies um and took a bunch of courses that cross-listed in both of these um so courses that were around that were in ethnic studies but cross-listed as like literature um, so I took African literature. Um, I took a course on Native American women's writers and African American literature after 1865. Um, so those were just a few, right, that crossed and really liked those courses. And a couple things. So I spent basically a year, right, in in those in those courses. And a couple things going into it. One of the things I was nervous about was like uh what's make making academic making diversity academic for me or Mm -hmm. like making race uh like a like a class subject um Mm -hmm. or like a like a research project Mm -hmm. um and something to study live yes absolutely absolutely and my experiences uh you know with learning about privilege and learning about race in America had all been relational up till then. And so stepping into a classroom, I was like, what's this going to be like, you know, now that it's like a homework project and Mm -hmm. not, uh, you know, a conversation. And it, I was, I was very pleasantly surprised at how uh, rarely, if ever, I felt that, um, that, you know, it felt genuine and conversational with the people in the class and with the professors about all that. So that was awesome. And another thing, stepping into one of the semesters, I took I took two courses on Native American um, history and literature. And for me, I had, you know, spent uh, the last three years uh, being involved with the Black student government on campus and learning about Black culture in America and Black struggles in America and Black history in America. Um, and obviously through just such a grounding connection to my little sister um, and to the community on campus, you know, had felt uh, my heart so opened and wounded and mm. passionate for, uh, you know, healing and protecting and advocating for the black community on campus. And I think stepping into these classes, I was like, will I, I don't know, I think I was scared. I was like, what if I don't care as much about 
the Native American community mm-hmm. on campus as I do the Black community. And that was like a weird fear to like mm-hmm. grapple with, mm-hmm. um, to like hope that I would have the same emotional sense of empathy, right? Mm-hmm. Like sense of desire to advocate for, to understand, to feel mm-hmm. the, the pain, the historical trauma. Um, and so that's definitely right going into the semester. I was kind of just like, how is this gonna go? Like, mm-hmm. am I going to experience the same, uh, same emotional, you know, desire to, to be an ally, to advocate for? Mm-hmm. Um, the Native community. And I mean, I think in large part due to how well my professors taught and engaged their students. Um, I mean, I, I, I really enjoyed the classes, I guess, is, you know, the main thing to say. And, uh, you know, felt so much better, so, so, so much more well-equipped to enter conversations mm-hmm. um, about, uh, what the injustice against native communities has looked like and man like my education covered the trail of tears and that's Mm -hmm. it and maybe Mm -hmm. just in name like hey that one time we did that bad thing we called it the trail of tears and we moved on Mm -hmm. and like that's all we ever covered and like i had no idea about native boarding schools or dear goodness allotment terminations uh things that are happening today uh oh my goodness i mean so many things that i was able to learn about and you know i think to circle back to one of the fears i mentioned was like making making race like a classroom or like a school project and one of the things my professor did really well was like grounding their class in like storytelling and in poetry Mm. and in like the lived experience of Mm native women uh and native activists Mm -hmm. and so like that's how i experienced right that's how i was shown um this history this other america absolutely um this complete other view of american history that i just wasn't exposed to um and so overall it was an incredible experience um incredible semester for me to to take those classes to um to feel like I, I grew in, in empathy, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that I, I wasn't, I was thankfully not disappointed in myself, right, in where I ended the semester. Um, and so that was, that was awesome. And, you know, genuinely thankful to, to feel in the slightest bit better equipped to, to advocate for, you know, the Native community, specifically in Nebraska, right, but anywhere I go, like, that's something on my mind that I care about, a history I want to bring into the conversation. Something mm. I don't want to be unseen in, you know, any classroom that I step into. Mm. So, wow, that was really good. I I like that. Uh, it just sounds like you you took it on because, yeah, especially here in Nebraska, all over the country, really, and in other parts of the world, uh, there's a lot that Native Americans have been through. You know, we had the Juneteenth mm. rally here in Lincoln at the Indian Center. They hosted it. And I just thought that was such a beautiful thing, the coming Mm -hmm. together of oppression. Yeah. And kind of, and it was so so respectful. When they started Mm -hmm. talking at the rally, they acknowledged the Native Americans, they acknowledged all of the tribes 
that had been killed and moved off into reservations and other parts of the country. And they just acknowledged the, the history. And I was like, that is awesome because it shows, yeah. okay, this isn't just about us. This is about yeah. everybody. And yeah. once again, that interconnectedness that we have. And unfortunately, a lot of ethnic groups have the interconnectedness of oppression and hurt and hatred. Uh, but it's good to see that we can acknowledge that. And I think that is what I would like to see people in the white community do, yeah. acknowledge it. And what I would really like to see, which is probably ahead of my questions, is repentance. Mm. I would love for a person to repent of mm. instead of defend or make an excuse for. And so, uh, which that's, that's the steps to Christ, confession, yeah. repentance, you know, it's like when we don't do well, admit it. To me, the only way to racial reconciliation is admit, repent, and um, apologize. And some people say, well, I had nothing to do with me. Oh, this is what really gets me. I was talking to a young man, it was a long time ago, and he said something like, we were at the time talking about Native Americans, and he said something about, oh, that has nothing to do with me. And I said, you really don't think it has anything to do with you? And he said, no. I said, you know what that it's called? It's called a legacy. That's a legacy. So yes, it does have something to do with you because people who came before you created this legacy of oppression and it continued and he that seemed to click for him he he's like yeah. i never thought about it that way and it's like for a people uh and especially in the christian community that is one thing we really stand on what kind of legacy are you going to leave mm -hmm. what kind of heritage are you going to leave for your children but then when it comes to this we don't see the connection to legacy yeah. Yeah. Okay, so when I tell people about you, I describe you as an ally, an advocate, and an activist for people of color. To me, you're able to speak truth into situations and acknowledge our difficult history with race. This is what we're just talking about. And um, so what recommendations or advice do you have for other white people who want to be an advocate for people of color? That is a great question. Um... You know, I think one of the things that I have been, you know, hearing a lot and seeing a lot is that it is the responsibility of white people to educate themselves um, on issues of race and issues of gender in America. And I do absolutely think that's true. And I think, you know, I couldn't recommend enough taking up a book by Ta-Nehisi Coates or picking up a book on, you know, white fragility, uh, you know, and reading that like I think absolutely right nothing should hold you back from doing that right now um I'm currently reading this book by Toni Morrison it's called The Source of Self-Regard my cousin gave it to me for Christmas I absolutely love it um but I mean I think that's an excellent starting place but I think I mean at least for me and part of this might be my like just fear-based personality but I would be 
I would be afraid to read it, read something like that alone mm. or without the feedback of uh, a trusted friend in a community of color, mm-hmm. um, a trusted friend who has been experienced, has experienced uh, oppression, right? A friend who is in a minoritized community. Um, and again, right, like maybe that's, maybe that's my fear, but I mean, I think I, all of my identities provide me with privilege and provide me with blind spots. Mm. Um, and so my proclivity to miss things, my proclivity to misunderstand um, or read my own privilege into stories of oppression and trauma mm-hmm. is immense. Um, and so again, right, you know, like I was blessed enough to have just a wealth of people in college that were willing to bring me into their stories and uh, their perspectives and able to do that from like not a place of, of re-traumatizing themselves, mm. um, you know, a healthy place. And so that was a huge blessing on my part. And I, I you know, really want to recognize that that is not, you know, like not the responsibility of the friends that I have on campus, right? Like they did that because they cared about me. Um, but that that's such an important step is to, is for at least for me again is to be reaching out of myself to have conversations um and even right as productive as conversations about uh police brutality you know with my mom and dad can go like there is still something about having that conversation uh you know with my black friends that is different and that is so much more insightful for me um and builds so much more relationship and connection with them um so to to distill my you know my advice i think that you know picking up books reading articles is really important uh but having connection having relationship is is so much more and i guess if i could just say like another way that i've seen that show up in my life is um is that those relationships build like compounding and consistent influence in my life Mm-hmm. Whereas hypothetically, I read a book and I think it's good, and then odds are I'm going to forget about it. Um, but I, I mean, I recall very distinctly early in my college career, I didn't see police brutality like on my Facebook timeline. Like it wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Like the things that are going on right now, I don't, I don't know if they would have popped up mm-hmm. like in my in the circle of people I was friends with. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they had popped up, they certainly wouldn't have popped up as many times as they're popping up now. And over the course of building relationships, things as simple as friending people on Facebook, I get to see what they are reposting, what they are favoriting, what they are liking. Mm-hmm. And now, like, it's just so great to, like, I log on Facebook and I, 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 tr- I see so much variety in opinion and diversity mm-hmm. in experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and ways to interact and advocate for and process what's going on Mm -hmm. um and that right that is continual for me that is like repeated that is now not something that i can forget about because it's just consistently brought to me Mm -hmm. um even right in the passiveness of you know my friends of color on facebook sharing things so so that's that's probably where (laughs) probably where my two biggest suggestions lie uh is is big time in relationship building 
and and in educating. That is so interesting that you just talked about your Facebook feed and what you see now, because I have noticed I've been receiving friend requests and from white people. And at first I was like, what is the deal with this? Like <laughs> accumulating black friend thing, you know? I kind of was like, why, why is this? I don't know this person because some of them I don't know, but they're friends of other people. And, um, but I'm the type of person, I don't, I don't just friend everyone. So I go to their feed, I see what they're looking at or whatever, and that determines whether or not I'm going to follow them or allow them to follow me or friend me. But you just, you brought up a very good point about what they see in their feed. And although I don't, I don't believe it is necessarily my job to educate them as far as this is, this is what I'm going through. However, I see the value in them wanting to know what you're going through and mm -hmm. to be able to see those posts and make it real to them because otherwise mm -hmm. they wouldn't know or wouldn't see. And so you just helped me see it from a different perspective of not necessarily accumulating black friends to make your feed look better, but yeah. as an educating tool for them. Like, yeah. I wanna know, I'm not in an area that has a lot of diversity, but I know this friend that knows this friend and maybe I can learn something by friending this person who's posting these things that I would not necessarily know about unless I knew someone or as I sought it out. And yeah. as you mentioned, sometimes you, you don't even know to seek it out because it's not part of your world. Yeah. So I have to thank you for that. That was really good because it makes me now, but I have been accepting their friend request. Mm -hmm. But it makes me less suspicious of why, because I was suspicious. I'm like, why are they trying to friend me? I don't, I don't know them, you know. Yeah. And now I'm like, you know what? I will graciously accept that request, and yeah. pray that it is from a genuine place, and yeah. that they will learn from me. Because my yeah. primary thing is, the more you know, the better you do. Yeah. You know what I mean? The more education you have about certain situations or things the less you are to prejudge or prejudice them and you begin to understand more yeah so thanks for that and worst case scenario you know the unfriend button is just one <laughs> click away <laughs> that is true and i am not afraid to use that <laughs> uh well uh this has been a very a good conversation is very eye-opening. I mean, I, I know you, but I feel like I know you even better. And I feel like I know your sincerity even more. And um, I appreciate you taking time out to speak with us today. I just want to also point out though that Tate is an awesome big brother. At least he is to Lucy. <laughs> I think you have favorites. <laughs> But you are so good to that little girl. And um, you all have a really special connection, special relationship. Uh, I saw a picture when you, I can't remember, what, was she Ariel and you were, what's his oh name? Oh my goodness, yes, <laughs> Prince Eric. 
that yeah, was, yeah, was that, that feels like so long ago. <laughs> I thought that was so cute. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he did that. <laughs> <laughs> That's just a teenager or a young adult, you know. And yeah. you did that though for your little sister. So I thought that was so sweet. And that is Tate Kohler. There's hope for the future, friends. We need more people like him in the world. He is going to have a profound impact on the children he teaches. There are groups forming on social media and locally to continue the discussion on race and racial injustice. Try to find one that has people of color in them to get a well-rounded discussion. Also, uh, here are some authors that Tate recommended. Uh, one is W.E.B. Du Bois, and I am currently listening to a book that was published in 1903, and it is titled The Souls of Black Folk. It is relevant to today's observations on race and American history. Uh, he also mentions Toni Morrison, The Source of Self-Regard. This is the book that Tate is currently reading. Uh, another author is Tanahisi Coates, and he has a book titled Between Me and the World. And uh, lately, this book's been getting a lot of play, and it's uh, the author is Robin D'Angelo, White Fragility, Why It's So Hard for White People to Talk About Racism. I also recommend uh, Latasha Morrison, and her book is Be the Bridge, and Ken Wistma, The Myth of Equality. I've listed a few more titles in our show notes uh, on my site, Rabrina Rettle, wordpress.com, and uh, hopefully those readings may be valuable to you also. Uh, to learn more about Teach for America, visit their site, www.teachforamerica.org. And don't forget to subscribe and rate us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your pods. Uh, feel free to connect with me on Instagram at Rabrina Rettle and my Grit Podcast Facebook page. Also my blog, rabrinareddle.wordpress.com. This podcast is produced by me and our Handcrafted Studios. Original music by Handcrafted Studios, composer Michael Coffey. Keep your grit up by getting real while immersed in truth. Take care, friends. Thank you.